Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire, and you're listening to Talking CFD with Robin Knowles. It's kind of like my show, but for CFD nerds, prepare to ignite. Hello, hello. Welcome along to another episode of Talking CFD, the podcast that's more about growing a business than growing a boundary layer. Well, we've spoken quite a bit on previous episodes of this show about how pre-processing still takes up a lot of time for us CFD people. Um, We've spoken about some of the nifty ways that we might be able to reduce that. We've talked about better, kind of more robust, automatic meshing, codes that mesh for you, codes in which you never even see a mesh. But how about before we even get to the meshing stage? How about all the time we spent whipping the CAD model into shape before we can even start to press any meshing buttons? Chances are the CAD you're turning into a CFD model wasn't really intended for that purpose. and We don't talk that much about those hours and those tasks spent doing those kind of jobs. But that's exactly what today's guest spends his hours thinking about. How can he make the journey from CAD to CFD a little shorter and a little less grey hair inducing. Today I'm talking with Mark Gammon, the technical director of the Cambridge office of ITI and one of the brains behind a product called CADFIX. Welcome to the show, Mark. Oh, thanks, Robin. Thanks for inviting us. I mentioned ITI and then I mentioned the uh, the product CADFIX. Could you give us a little little potted history of ITI and, and, and your involvement in it? And, um, and then we kind of go on and talk about CADFIX and what that means for, for the CFD people. Yeah, sure. So, so today the company's name is ITI, um, but we've gone through quite a few names since we were first founded. We're, we're relatively old software companies as software companies go. Uh, we were first formed back in 1978 under the name of FEGS Limited, which stood for Finite Element Graphical Systems. Um, and in those early years, in the 80s, we were really sort of pioneers in in the stress analysis um, pre-processing world. So creating um, meshes for stress analysis, thermal analysis, the early days of, of computer-aided engineering, if you like, uh, where geometry and CAD systems never really existed. It was You were making mesh by hand, effectively, defining nodes and elements. You had no curves and surfaces. You, you had some drawings and some dimensions you were trying to, to model against, but it was done by hand. You're making some people sweat now thinking about it just <sighs> when, they were, uh, when they were in those days. Yeah, well, I think there's a lot of generations that can't even believe that ever happened. Yeah. <laughs> so that was, our, that was our very early roots, but then CAD systems sort of came along in the 80s and you started generating IGES files that had um, some sort of CAD geometry in that you were trying to start from to try and get your, your initial shape um, off of the piece of off the drawing paper into some sort of digital form instead. So we, we, we had a very early product called uh, FAM, which was the finite element uh, like field analysis modeler. Um, and it was a pre-processor and a post-processor. So in pre-processing, it's, it's mostly mesh generation that you're, you're interested in trying to create um, elements of a suitable size, suitable quality that capture the, the geometry to a, an acceptable tolerance. So we had a lot of um, development work going on in those times, generating all sorts of different mesh generators. So surface mesh generators, volume mesh generators, um, finite difference uh, mesh generators, which are slightly different things than the, the more sort of traditional ones you've seen. And then we had the post-processing side as well. So we could actually bring back the results from a, an analysis and contour them and do reports of the, the results on the, the, the mesh that we created. So that was our, our legacy uh, um, background really in the early years, maybe, maybe sort of first 15 years we were in that market. Um, but I guess around the early 90s, um, you know, CAD geometry started to become more and more prevalent. Um, there were some larger um, companies coming onto the scene, ANSYS, Ideas, um, Patran, um, all doing the same sort of pre-processing for analysis, so mesh generation. Um, 
And we were a relatively small UK company, didn't have the marketing budget that those guys had. And um, we were starting to feel a pinch, really. Uh, we were losing some of our, our customers to these bigger, uh, slicker-looking companies. So we had to sort of take a, a, a step back, look at what we could do that was unique, um, that the other, these other companies were not paying attention to, if you like. Um, and the thing that leapt out at us was that we had done a lot of work in, in dealing with bad geometry, you know, just geometry initially. But in general, it was um, developing methods for detecting and fixing issues with uh, 3D geometry. Um, and we sort of just noticed that these other guys, that were, they were still going after the mesh generation, pre-processing stuff, and were ignoring the problems caused by CAD. Um, and while they were doing that, we thought there's a, there's a big uh, vacancy here. We'll uh, change our focus onto CAD geometry instead. And so we, we did that in the mid-90s, um, and that's when we launched CADFIX, um, which is, is based on a lot of the original technology we had from the, the pre and processor. Um, but it was a change of focus for the whole company. From that point on, was the development team was really looking at all the maths and the nitty-gritty behind CAD curves, surfaces, volumes, and, and trying to come up with new algorithms for cleaning up the, the CAD so you could generate these meshes with, with less pain. Um, so that's where CADFIX was born, and that's where we've been uh, working for the last sort of 15 years, really, is, is growing that, that um, segment of, of CADFIX, dealing with uh, CAD geometry, aimed at all sorts of analysis, and not just CFD. Initially, it was the sort of the structural guys. Um, CFD is now becoming much more important to us. Um, but there are other manufacturing, um, electromagnetic simulation, for example, is another area. But you know, CAD geometry is, is everywhere these days. Every product has a, a 3D digital definition that companies want to reuse. They don't want to have multiple versions of the same product. They want to have this, uh, this master CAD geometry and then they want to reuse it for all sorts of simulations and manufacturing. And that really brings a lot of problems. And that's, that's where uh, a lot of our effort today is focused on how do you repurpose uh, a manufacturing CAD model uh, automatically um, into something that you can then generate meshes on um, for simulation. So just to give people an idea of where you guys sit, you're kind of firmly between CAD and mesh generation. You're doing all the the bits that I spent many, many hours on the, the my first ever CFD projects tinkering with, with CAD and making it, uh, making it suitable for somebody else to mesh it. I guess that's the sort of things that you're doing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we, we're sitting there receiving um, CAD data from you know, the likes of Katia and Creo and NX. Um, and we're developing algorithms and tools that allow users to reuse that geometry for whatever simulation they need to do. Um, and that nearly always involves a mesh being created on that CAD geometry. And so we, we, we have, um, well, we're developing algorithms that analyze the geometry, looking for issues that are going to trip up the, the typical sort of meshing algorithms that uh, downstream um, simulation is going to try and use. So to, to some extent, I think your kind of average CFD user could be forgiven for thinking that CAD's CAD, isn't it? Um, the, the tricky bit's actually getting it to look like you want and be the right size and, and you know have strength in the right areas and things like that. What makes CAD tricky for, for CFD and for, for mesh generation? Yeah, you've got a good point. I mean, the, the CAD systems are very good at producing um, very attractive images of very complex objects. And they are very powerful tools for creating complex shapes. And you, 
it can be forward to thinking that that's the hardest part of um, mesh generation really is how do you define the shape that you want to analyze or most of the cases is actually what you want to manufacture and then the second question is can i analyze that shape as well <laughs> so you can see that the cat systems they produce some very exotic shapes these days so the curves and surfaces they're very highly uh, sculpted blended uh, very complex um, and that's, that is uh, a complex problem to solve, and, and hence that's why the CAD industry is so, so huge. But um, from a, an analysis point of view, if you're, and most analysis are looking to analyze something to do with the volume. So you think that these CAD systems are producing 3D solids. You know, they all sort of uh, present themselves as solid modelers these days. But actually, when you look uh, closely at what they're actually creating, they're not really creating a solid model. They, they're giving the, the CAD user the impression that he is creating a solid model because of the way that the interface works. You're, you know, you're typically sort of sketching some sort of 2D profile and then you, you pull it out. And on the screen, you appear to have a big solid chunk of metal appearing. And then you start you know, sculpting holes in it, uh, making more protrusions, making it into a more complex object. Um, and all the time in the back of your head, you're thinking, mm, this, is, this is a solid piece of metal. It looks just like the thing I'm gonna manufacture. But actually, What's going on uh, behind the, all the mouse clicks and all the, all the operations you're doing is you're, you're really just making a skin representation of a solid. So you're really just defining what the, the, the outer surface is. Now, I, I tend to think of it as you're not solid modeling, you're actually sort of welding together thin plates of metal to make them look like a, to make them look like a tank that is the outside of a, of a solid body. So, in terms of mesh generation, that's a problem because the, the CAD system is only giving you definition on the outer skin, you know, those outer molecules of, the, of that metal object you think you've made. That's all you have. Um, and so for mesh generators that need to do something on the interior, then there is, it's, it's, a, it's a hollow solid. There's nothing there that gives them any guidance or structure for sort of walking around the interior of, of an object. And that's really the crux of, of 3D mesh generation problems is they, they sort of they, they start on the skin of the object and then they sort of step into the void and they're trying to fill this void with with elements and they have to try all sorts of clever ways of basically fumbling around the dark trying to lay lay down these hex elements or tet elements in a way that doesn't collide with each other doesn't produce nasty uh, concentrations of elements or poorly skewed elements but they're fundamentally sort of walking around in the dark, trying to, to construct a, a mesh on the inside of these CAD solids. So is that where the uh, is that where the intern comes in, putting a blocking structure inside this thing and trying to make the mesh inside of it look nice? Yeah, that's that's uh, been the traditional way of, of getting good quality um, volume meshes is to put a human in the loop, effectively with a sort of scalpel or a, or a blade of some sort, and he cuts up this this CAD solid into smaller. CAD solids, which are actually just you know, smaller shells uh, with just the outer skin defined. But um, the human is, yeah, effectively sort of subdividing these complex objects into smaller regions where it becomes easier then to fit your, your mesh inside them because you, uh, you may have cut out a, a nice cuboid object. So filling that with hex elements becomes quite a trivial exercise. Yeah. And I think maybe that's where some of the CFD or maybe meshing in general, people think meshing is, is should be easy. You know, the hardest part is actually to find the complex catch shape. Um, but meshing is only easy once you have a very simple volume that you're trying to fill with, with uh, mesh. Um, and if you're willing to pay for a human to sit in that loop and, and carve up your CAD solid into these simple regions, then meshing can be very, 
uh, very fast, high quality, um, but the actual cost of that human is is horrendous, and and it, it certainly doesn't fit any sort of optimization loops. No, and I guess that is becoming more and more a um, a CFD workflow with the uh, kind of multi simulation paradigm. We're not just doing one simulation anymore. So, I mean, are we talking about um, software that can kind of record almost what a human's done and then replay it, or are we at the point where we can kind of get the human out of the loop at all yeah there, there is there is scope and there are there are products out there that effectively sort of record macros of, of how a person maybe cut up one particular sort of object and you may be able to play that back on a slightly different variation of that object but it, you can imagine it doesn't take many sort of changes in fitter radii or, or holes to shift around a bit before that that sort of recorded subdivision is going to break down um so an alternative approach that we've been taking at ITI really is to um, try and fill this void of, of, of missing 3D data that tells you what the structure of your solid or for, you know, for CFD, maybe an air volume. And we've been taking the approach of, of trying to effectively construct a skeleton that sits inside that 3D volume and allows the computer to see in 3D. It can, it can navigate its way across these these voids inside objects and it knows when when it's got uh, uh, a certain region of the, of the CAD model on, on its left hand side it's got another region on the right hand side it knows how far apart they are it knows what sort of angles um, the, the two opposing faces have with each other um, so this sort of internal skeleton um, there's been some theory on on this going back to the 60s and 70s in, in sort of mathematical terms it's it's known as the medial axis transform. So it's a it's a transform because it allows you, in theory, to take a three D solid and collapse it down to a an internal skeleton of of sheet surfaces that carry a thickness data across them. And so you can sort of reverse the transformation, and you can go from one of these uh, medial axis transforms, and you can inflate it again and recreate your your solid model. So that's the sort of mathematics uh, behind the medial axis transform but it's 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 key benefit is it it allows you to construct a skeleton inside of a 3d volume um, that allows you to walk across that volume um, with with a lot more knowledge and that's that's the knowledge that the human sees when he looks at this volume he can detect this face is opposite this face and if i cut from here to here i'm going to get a nice sort of perpendicular cut but a, a, a software today can't really do that without this extra 3D data that the medial axis transform can provide. And that's where we've been going in, in, in ITI, is developing an industrial uh, version of this medial axis transform theory. Um, and we, we have a, an implementation that we call a medial object, because it actually returns a CAD object, which looks like the skeleton inside your, your CAD solid. So I went and uh, and had a look at this when we uh, when we first were talking about about getting you guys on the show, and I came across um, a little animation that you guys had done. It looked like somebody meshing either the inside and then the outside of the White House, was it? Yes, yeah, that's right. Yeah, as this is as we're not got the benefit of of pictures, um, this medial object that you're creating looks like to me the sort of interior faces of a blocking structure um so it's the kind of thing i would make manually if i was going to create a structured mesh inside uh, or or outside for that matter but inside it's sort of slightly easier to visualize inside a, an object such as the white house and you put all that together mathematically as a there is no human in that loop yeah exactly yeah that's that's a fully automatic algorithm that can it takes a, a cad solid as a starting point 
and then it can construct this this, this internal skeleton, the medial object that uh, um, it tells you everything you need to know about how to walk around the inside of a of a, of a volume. Um, and that's, a, that's an incredibly rich source of data if you want to develop any sort of meshing algorithms um, to fill that volume in a in a very sort of structured, high quality way. Is it really only applicable for structured meshing, or do, is it has it got uses in in kind of any automated meshing? No, it's, it's got uses uh, across the board. I think. Um, I mean, just talking away uh, away from CFD, we have another application yeah. of of this um, the medial object being used to um, cut up um, uh, solids for structural meshing. So, um, jet engines, for example, have a lot of thin walled uh, areas. Um, but they have big junctions where, where the thin-walled approximations break down. Um, and so we're using this uh, medial object technology to identify where you have regions of, of thin-walled structure, and we can, we can cut those out, um, and then uh, you, you can fill those with nice structured mesh by sweeping from one side to the other. But the other regions, the thick, sort of chunky junction regions, um, for this particular application, it's, it's enough to just cut them out and leave them as a complex solid which you will then mesh with uh, unstructured tetrahedral elements. And you sort of blend together this sort of unstructured tetrahedral in, in complex areas. Um, and then in the, in the nice sort of uh, thin walled areas, you can get the, all the benefits of structured meshing, um, which is not, you know, you get better shaped elements, but you can also have a lot lower number of elements because uh, meshing thin wall things with tetrahedral elements typically requires you to have tets that are of the of size of the thickness. Whereas if you mesh with, with hexes or some sort of swept mesh, you could have you know, very high aspect ratios, you know, 10 to 100 to 1 in, in the sizing, which you can't do with TET. So you get a big win on the degrees of freedom. So does this sort of thing also help with simplification, kind of um, removing bits of geometry that we're, we're not interested in or, or making them easier to mesh? Yeah, it does. Yeah, because it, it, uh, it gives you this, this um, map of the interior uh, with with thickness data across that, so um, if your your CAD model has a, a lot of thin walled regions, then you can identify them very quickly uh, through the medial object, and then you have a choice. You could you can um, cut out the thin regions and, and mesh them with solids, like we just talked about, or you could then uh, actually replace that solid region with a mid surface, um, so just yeah. a sheet of, of of geometry. So the the medial object. In CAD, it actually has real geometry. So it looks like a CAD model. It has curves and surfaces, but it's just a dimension less than the actual 3D solid. Um, but yeah, mid-surface mid approximation is, is another big um, topic in, in structural analysis. A lot of uh, There's a lot of problems that are modeled with, or objects are created with very thin-walled um, components. And the CAD systems and the designers today typically model them as they are going to be manufactured. So they do have real thick uh, thickness to these sheets of metal. Um, but for a lot of the simulation purposes, the, the thickness of the metal is irrelevant. And you really could do with just a single uh, mid-surface approximation to your, your object. Um, and that, again, is, is something that the, the middle object naturally can provide because it, it has this internal skeleton. The other one that comes up all the time for me when constructing models is gaps. I've been to spend the majority of my pre-processing time either filling gaps or just making things fit that didn't really fit properly. Again, does it have any application on that sort of thing? Yeah, that's, that's an interesting 
topic. I mean, the whole we, we talked about sort of CAD, CAD solids and what a solid is and isn't, but CAD assemblies are, are another level of complexity that really upset CFD uh, analysis in particular. Because yeah, they upset me. Yeah, because you, you're often getting complex assemblies of components, and you really want to do a CFD analysis of just the external wetted area. You can use that uh, the, the meteorology to, to detect these gaps because. Uh, you have an, an assembly of solid components, maybe an underhood car assembly sort of thing. Um, you could put a box around that and compute the middle object of the air, and the air will, the middle object will naturally uh, weave its way into any gaps between any of the components you have. And we have a, a welding tool in Catholics, it's called a welding tool, and it's designed for detecting these, these gaps between components in an assembly. Um, we have a joining tool which will try and join things which are within tolerance of each other. Um, so the welding tool is really designed for things that are visibly not going to, you can't just sort of merge the points and lines and, and yeah. it'll work. It's You've got a gap there that's just too big. Um, so we have a welding tool that um, uses a metal object to detect where you have these narrow gaps and it uses the the information from the middle object to construct a, a, a filler, if you like, to join those that is, those gaps together. We've sort of accidentally ended up talking about this medial object um, for quite a while, mm. but where could that go on to? I mean, are we talking about being able to take people out of that pre-processing loop altogether with, with this kind of technology? Well, I, I think it, it does provide that, that missing dimension of information that, that software will need if it's going to do anything clever in 3D within the volume of something. So I, I like to think of it, it's, it's, got a, it's comparable to sort of being a doctor back in the, I don't know, when, when x-rays were invented. And, but if you try diagnosing someone with someone with a broken bone without access to x-rays, or you imagine trying to do some sort of brain surgery without any access to MRI or CAT scans, then that's similar to, to the meshing, the volume meshing world today is you really don't have any idea what the shape of the inside of this object is that you're about to mesh. The middle object, we believe, is, is, is that missing 3D data that tells you uh, what's the structure of this volume I'm about to try and mesh or um, partition or do something clever in. So, yeah, we, we're quite, uh, we, we're quite uh, excited about what the possibilities are for the middle object. One thing we mentioned earlier was that optimization was getting a bit more prevalent. One aspect of the optimization loop that's always sort of stood out to me as being a bit of a pain is going back to CAD. Typically, we'll take the CAD, we'll we'll mess about with it a little bit to get it ready for um, for a CFD simulation. We'll maybe morph it during the optimization into a kind of new shape, and then we'll probably if it's any good, we'll want to go back to CAD so that we can make it and, and have an actual impact in the real world rather than just in a simulation. But that back to CAD step seems particularly painful. Why, why is that? Yeah, that is, that is the weak link in sort of closing the optimization loop. Um, I, I think it really fundamentally boils down to the, the simulation tools we have today. They, they all have to work off some sort of discretized mesh of the CAD object. So, uh, immediately you've gone from this nice continuous uh, curve and surface definition of your geometry and you've broken it down into millions millions of, of small little elements that you're going to do your simulation on because that's really you know the, the simulation and the physics is so difficult that you have to break it down into those tiny little objects to, to do the simulation um, and so when you come back with a, a new shape so your, your solver has, has, has morphed the mesh it's moved its, its uh, discretized geometry to some sort of optimized shape 
um, you've got this disconnect then between, well, I've got my optimized shape described by millions of, of little elements, um, but my CAS system doesn't understand mesh. It doesn't want to understand mesh. You know, it, it likes continuous curves and surfaces. So you're then faced with this problem. Well, okay, so I've got, I've got a, a skin of my mesh, which is, say, your new aerofoil shape. Um, I, I have to communicate that information back to a CAD system in a form that it will swallow. So that means you've got to sort of uh, start fitting curves to uh, the edges of your optimized aerofoil. You've got to start fitting um, surfaces to the, the nodes on the interior. And curve fitting and surface fitting is, is still quite a, a, a tricky process to get right. There's a lot of uh, research going on in, in the quality of the result you get from that. Um, so it's, it's, it's not a, a done deal, basically. We could quite quickly do something that looks about right, but I mean, it's it's how good is good enough? Is that is that the case? Well, it's it's more it's more fundamental because um, a lot of the meshing today uh, loses the connection back to the CAD that it came from. So you, you may have your your CAD uh, volume that you've meshed, and uh, in the CAD system, you may have you know a couple of hundred individual uh, faces that represent the the solid. When you mesh that and you take the mesh into your CAD system, the CAD sorry, into your into analysis system, then typically the, the mesh comes in a bit naked. It doesn't have any of the pointers back to uh, the CAD curve that the, 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 the node was made on or or the CAD surface that the element was made on. So you suddenly you suddenly lose all that sort of natural grouping of, of the of the elements in your mesh. And so when you try to go back to CAD, you're you're faced with this huge sort of soup of, of triangles, maybe if they're all tets, which you then have to try and work out, well, okay, so where were the original CAD curves so that I can sort of use them so I can sort of thread some, some deformed curves through the same nodes? And where were the elements that made up this face? You've lost that connection. So today, one of the big problems is actually um, partitioning the, the, the skin of your simulation mesh back into regions which you can uh, you know, convert one for one back into a CAD curve or CAD surface. Okay, so we'll, we'll chalk that one up to still being a tricky problem. I meant to ask you earlier, actually, are you kind of CAD and whatever sits after the CAD, either the mesher or the solver? Are you kind of agnostic of either of those two ends? You'd sit in the middle and deal with whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so we, 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 we built CADFIX to be able to import nearly every sort of CAD format or, or standard format geometry there is today um, and export uh as well to those formats but also um export some sort of mesh formats as well we've seen at the moment that there's there seems to be more and more cfd being done and it's kind of maturing as a as a technology where do you see cadfix as role in in cfd going forward well i think we've talked about one of the biggest areas that uh, we see for uh, for the cadfix involvement in, in in automating the mesh generation uh, I think everyone uh, will accept that mesh generation is still a, a significant bottleneck in, in not just CFD analysis, a lot of analysis uh, spends far too much time trying to generate an, an acceptable mesh. So speeding up and, and automating um, mesh generation is going to be one of the, the key areas um, that companies are going to contribute to, to, to the future. Um, but I, I personally, I, I think that the whole optimization loop and closing that connection back to CAD is 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 really promising because I, mean, I think I mean computers are getting so much more 
so powerful. We understand a lot of the, the physics. We can actually create algorithms that can model some very complex physics these days. Um, the hardware is big enough to deal with real-world problems. So we're getting to the point where computers are going to be able to come up with shapes for objects that no human would ever have thought of. And we have to get that connection back to the manufacturing CAD systems. Um, and so the, hooking up the, the analysis results to a, a CAD package, I think, is a, is, a, is a crucial link in, in being able to really exploit the, you know, the benefits of, of, of software and, and the, the increasing computer power that we're going to get. Yeah, I'd like to see that as well, because then I could let the computer do it and then pretend that I did it, which would be excellent. <laughs> now, just, just on that point, I mean, we've had some, uh, some really interesting stories from one of our customers who's, who's designing components for electrostatic and electromagnetic environments. So, I mean, these, these are you know, fields that you can't even see. You know, unlike CFD, you've got the, you, know, you can imagine what the wind and the air feels like, but electric fields, electromagnetic fields, what do they look like? It's very, very hard to yeah. imagine. Um, but they have a, a solver which is able to deform objects into the, sort of the optimum shape for shielding around you know, electrostatic components in a, in a power station. And they're, they're producing some incredibly exotic shapes that uh, their designers have, have admitted would, they would never have thought of. And it's, it's only because of uh, you know, the, the power of the, of the software and the solutions. And, and then, yeah, obviously you need the ability to then convert those optimize shapes into something you can manufacture but i think that's really exciting absolutely so if somebody wants to get in touch with you guys and find out a little bit more about about what you do where's the best port of call for them uh we have we have a, a good cadfix website so cadfix.com will, will get you to them to the main landing page for for the cadfix product we're also quite active on twitter if you're if you're interested in, in short um, updates on some of the breakthroughs we make then twitter is a good way to follow us yeah i think that's where i saw the white house Yes, exactly. Yeah, we, we posted some interesting pictures on there. So, um, we also regularly attend some of the conferences, um, some of the, the AIAA conferences in the States, for example. Um, the, the NAFEMS conference um, in uh, Sweden this year is a world congress. And if people want to, to get in touch with you, if they like what they've heard? Yeah, uh, they, can, they can contact me um, personally through the, through the company, um, mark.gammon at iti-global.com. Um, my, I have a Twitter account, uh, Gammon67 is the, the user ID. I'm, I'm more than happy to, to uh, take part in discussions or talk about some of the topics I've raised today with anyone who's, who's interested in it or, or see some sort of potential application for what we, uh, we were talking about. A lot of what we're working on at the moment is uh, uh, research and development, so it has uh, potential for, for future applications. I'm always keen to... To, some, to talk to someone who thinks they may have come across a, a novel application for some of the, the 3D geometry algorithms that we're, we're working on. Thank you ever so much for your time today, Mark. We've had uh, some technical issues with this, but I want to uh, um, thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for inviting me. Cool. Maybe I could interest you in our new sister show. It's called Talking CFD Social. It's a live-streamed CFD-themed chat show with a couple of co-hosts and maybe a guest or two. It's more conversational than the podcast with real-time interaction in the chat. Subscribe to the show on YouTube by heading over to cfd.com forward slash social. We'll see you there.